know, I bet you're all excited to hear about my run that I went on. <laughs> so I was, going, I was going for a run. Uh, we just got out of um, isolation. My family had a COVID bout last few weeks. Praise God, came through, all good. Kids didn't get it at all, so they were sort of running rampant throughout the house. My wife and I were trying to look after them as best we could. Uh, and then we're, we're very glad to be out into the, the wide world again. So one of the first things I did was go for a run. And I was listening uh, to uh, one of the sermons because I had to catch up on um, the series that we've been going through, the Real Change series, and had to listen to the sermons uh, that Pastor Luke has been preaching through. And he described this guy, this guy who was really looking forward to having a holiday and who'd been working really hard all year and just desired some peace and quiet down by the sea with the family and just you know, wanted to really relax. And I was thinking, Luke, you're talking about me. <laughs> and, and this guy that he described was someone whose holiday was interrupted by unfortunate events and the, the holiday was kind of destroyed and this person sort of became a bit thorny in their attitude towards the people around them because all they wanted was, this person wanted was a really good holiday and everyone else around this person to serve them so that they might have a good holiday. And I thought, Luke... Somehow you're speaking to me from a few weeks ago because, yes, I am that man. I, our holiday was obviously interrupted. We, we sort of caught COVID halfway through and I did become a little bit thorny, my wife will tell you. And so I really need this Real Change series. I really need to be reminded uh, that actually changing as a person doesn't come just by hard work. Changing as a person doesn't just come by being religious. Changing as a person comes by putting your faith and trust in Jesus and Him changing you from the inside out. So we're in our fourth week this week in the Real Change series, our last week. And this week we're looking at what we call uh, fruit that lasts. Fruit that lasts. And so fruit that lasts is the, using the idea of the metaphor of the tree. You know, uh, if a tree is healthy, if it's a fruit tree, of course, if it's, if it's healthy, it will do what? It will bear fruit, won't it? And if it's unhealthy, it won't bear fruit. And so we're going to explore what that means today. Uh, there's three things uh, that I want to tell you uh, uh, in, that we need to do in order to get fruit that lasts, to be people who are changed, are better, but are actually more like Jesus and how God designed us to be. So three things. The first one is we need to position ourselves in the streams of the Spirit. And we see our text is actually talking about what it means to be people who are in step with or who walk with the Holy Spirit. So first, we need to position ourselves in the streams of the Spirit. Second, we need to be captivated by Jesus' crucifixion captivated by Jesus' crucifixion. And thirdly, we need to receive ongoing power in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I'm going to go through those in order. One, two, three. So let's start with number one. Position ourselves in the streams of the Spirit. We need to firstly do that in order to produce fruit that lasts. Now, I have this lemon tree at home and uh, I planted it in a space which I thought would be okay for it. It would sort of grow and hopefully produce fruit. Anyway, I went out to sort of look at it the other day and it was covered in weeds, so it wasn't, wasn't doing so well. And I actually think it's grown smaller. I don't, I, don't think that's, I don't know if that's possible, but it looks smaller than when I put it in. It is still alive, praise God. It's like somehow it's still alive, but 
there is no fruit on this thing and it has been in there for two years. And I think it's actually smaller than when it started. I don't know if that's possible. If you're a biologist, you can chat to me about that afterwards. But, of course, looking at it, I realised, hey, this thing like, gets hardly any water. There's very little sunlight that it gets. Of course, you know, trees need these things to grow. Don't they? And the soil must be terrible. Must be very little nutrients in the soil. And so you get those you know, three things. Uh, if you get little sunlight and little water and poor nutrients, the tree isn't going to grow. And a lot of that, in fact, almost all of that is to do with its positioning. It's positioning. And so if you have a bad position, you won't bear fruit, as my tree evidently shows. But if you're in a good position, you are well set up to produce fruit. Now, the question that I want to answer in our text is, what position do we need to be in to bear fruit, to look more like Jesus, to have these um, dis- you know, uh, things that are described as being in step with the Spirit, or fruit with the, from the Spirit? Let me read them out for you from verse uh, 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, like that sounds like the ideal person, doesn't it? And in fact, there is a person who's very much like this and actually displays all of these all the time, and that's Jesus. But we see in the text here that that is the design for his people. When they're led by the Spirit of Jesus, they will look like this. They will act like this. They'll experience these things. But to do that, we need to be in step with or in position that we receive the Spirit and constantly receiving the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, there's a couple of ways that um, the work of the Spirit is described in our text. We see in verse 16, it says, walk by the Spirit. So and uh, I think the um, idea is that there's an empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit. You you walk by the Spirit, that you are empowered by the Spirit. It's the things that you can't do without the Holy Spirit. You must have the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit. And then it uses another uh, term, Uh, And we get this in verse 25, sort of at the end of our section. It says, let us also keep in step with the Holy Spirit. This is a military term. Uh, This is talking about soldiers marching. And if you've ever marched before, you might have been in the army or the the, the military in some point, or a cadet or scouts even used to learn to march. You had to watch the person in front of you and keep in step with them. You had to follow their cadence. You had to look carefully and then you Go where they go. You go at the speed and the cadence that they go. And that is the idea that we would be focused on the Spirit in order to then produce this fruit of the Spirit. Now, uh, the Bible talks about uh, these, uh, this idea of keeping in step with the Spirit or walking in Spirit using another, another metaphor, which is actually throughout the Bible. And it's this idea of the streams of the Spirit. The streams of the Spirit. This is very applicable for thinking about a tree, right? A, a tree, in order to survive, in order to grow, in order to bear fruit, needs to draw water from somewhere. And we see, uh, I want to give you three examples of this that are instructional for us about how we ought to position ourselves in order to grow and to produce fruit. The first one is in Psalm 1. So let me read this out for you. Uh, this is verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man, and that refers to both men and women, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, 
and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, get this, that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Okay. Now this is actually a really good one that we can directly apply straight away. So the first example is to be someone who is drawing deeply on God's Word. If you want to position yourselves in the streams of the Spirit, you need to draw deeply on God's Word. What does that mean? That means the way that you think about life needs to be shaped by the Bible. There's many different ways that you could shape your thinking about life. You can do it from your family and your tradition that you grew up in. And, you know, when Morella and I do premarital counselling for people, we do a lot of talking about the backgrounds that people come from because that shapes the way you think about life. But that will not help you bear fruit. Many people are shaped by the cultural tradition. Of course we are. You know, the, um, the place in which we live, the values in which our culture has. But to be someone who... Uh, actually produces the fruit of the Spirit, you need to be someone who is, your mindset is shaped by God's Word. And it says here, the way to do that is to immerse yourself in it, to plant yourself deeply in it, for your roots to go deeply into God's Word. That means, and I heard this just the other day, you know, the Bible will be so helpful for so many people if they just read it. I mean, it's pretty simple from that point of view. Okay, so that's the first example. It's in Psalm 1. We need to be people who draw from God's Word in order to position ourselves in the stream of the Spirit. The second example is to draw from Christ Jesus. And we see this in John chapter 4, which I'll move to now. John chapter 4, and we see this in verses 13 to 14. Jesus is speaking to a very unlikely person about spiritual things. She's a woman who Jesus really shouldn't have been spending time with according to the culture, the culture of the day. But here he is, and he's often doing this with people, spending time with people he shouldn't, according to the culture of the day. And this is what Jesus says in verse 13. He says, Everyone who drinks of this water, as in looking at a well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, so here we see another metaphor, again, talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about what it means to have faith in Jesus and saying true satisfaction in life will not come from getting that dream job, will not come from getting that dream boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife, or changing your husband and wife to be more like what you want them to, or getting that economic status that you've always hoped or that car or that house or whatever it is, material thing. Your satisfaction in life will only come from faith in Jesus Christ. And so our second application then is if you want to position yourselves in the stream of the Spirit, you need to find your satisfaction in Jesus. Now this is not so simple. This is not so simple for us to apply in our lives because so often we have so many things pulling at us, so many things absorbing our time, absorbing our focus. And so it is actually very hard to be satisfied alone by Jesus. Now, actually, I think it's actually explained well by the context that Jesus was in. Jesus and this woman who wasn't supposed to be speaking to were drawing from a well, were drawing water from a well. And Jesus was saying, you know, if you 
if you um, draw water from this well, you're going to have to come back and draw from it again. To, you'll always be thirsty. But if you keep drawing from me, you'll never be thirsty again. But the metaphor of continually needing to drink applies to us as well, doesn't it? I mean, when our bodies are like fully functioning well, we're hydrated. When we get dehydrated, our bodies don't tend to function so well. And so in order for us to position ourselves in the stream of the Spirit, to produce spiritual fruit, we need to be people who are constantly drawing deeply from our relationship with God. We need to constantly be people who are drawing deep on this, filling ourselves, immersing ourselves in prayer with God's people, under His teaching, meeting with His people. You know, the Bible says, do not neglect to meet together, but stir one another up to love and good works. Why does it say that? Because if you don't meet with other Christians in a church context, which is what it's talking about, you will really struggle to produce fruit. And that's just one example. Okay, so we've got two examples we've worked through to position ourselves in the stream of the Spirit. The first is to draw from God's Word. The second is to draw from Christ Jesus. And the third, we see in John chapter 7, so a couple of pages over, John chapter 7, uh, verses 38 to 39. This is what we read. It says, whoever be- This is Jesus speaking. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay. Now this is saying, yes, we need to be, the first two points, we need to be drawing on God's Word. That's where we get our state of mind. That's where we get our understanding of how the world works and how we fit into it from the Bible. Yes, we need to draw on Christ Jesus, find our satisfaction in Him, not in other places. But here we see that actually we receive those things from the Holy Spirit. And the description is of an abundance. It says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I mean, that's not like a cup full. That's not a few drops of rain. That's like standing outside as it has been today when it's bucketing. That's like getting into a river and swimming in it. That's how much the Holy Spirit has to offer us. And so we must realize, we must actually we must lose the perception that, you know, we must work hard in order to get God. No, God has done all the work for us. We just have to step into it. But Jesus won a relationship. Uh, for us with God through His death and resurrection on the cross, He's given His Spirit to His people. We need to be people who draw deeply and step into this relationship with Him. And we'll see how to do that as we continue on. So I want to give us a little test as we just round out this point. Uh, back in uh, Galatians chapter 5. There's sort of descriptions of two types of people, really, in the text. There's, there's a person who's... Um, led by the flesh, that is our human desires. So they're not the desires where we want to do good for God, the desires we want to do good for ourselves. And there's a sort of a list of you know, the works of the flesh. It says they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, the, and things like these, which covers everything. <laughs> right? This is an acid test for us. When those things are either in your life or going, in your, going through your head, that is an example 
that you're walking by the flesh. That's the test. Right? And quite likely, you are not doing these things that I've already mentioned. You're not drawing from God's Word. You're not drawing uh, your satisfaction from, from Christ Jesus. You're not filling yourself with the Holy Spirit. And so the acid test for us is, well, look at your life. Look at your thought life, because if you're a religious person, you must be really good, really good at keeping those things inside, not outside. Not all the time, but mostly when other religious people are looking. But those things are going on, you are drawing from the wrong source. You are not positioned in the streams of the Spirit. Okay, so let's finish that point. We need to position ourselves in the stream of the Spirit. We need to actually and do that test for us to see how we're going. But in order to bear fruit, we also, secondly, must be captivated by Jesus' crucifixion. And we get this very interesting verse, verse 24. I'll read it out for you in our text. It says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, this is really interesting. A lot of people have got this wrong over the years. Right? People have thought, uh, and I've, I've seen videos of this, every Easter, people like literally get, go through a mock crucifixion. They get the nails in their hands and their feet. They don't obviously die up there. Um, but but, but they, they think that they actually need to themselves be crucified in order to get closer to God. But that's not what the text is talking about. It says, those who belong to Christ have crucified. As in past tense, it's done. Why? Because Jesus has done it. And so we need to experience a death, but not ours. We need to experience a death from Jesus, his crucifixion must become real to us. We must be captivated by it. And it's this kind of death which will enable you to bear fruit. It will deal with you trying to rule your own life rather than coming under God's rule for your life. Uh, now, a good example of this is um, a dream I had a few nights ago. It was about a week ago, I think. I was, uh, I don't know where I came from in the dream, but I sort of ended up, I was at a big dinner party. Lots of people there, lots of very important people in my life, and sort of dignitaries, I guess, it seemed like to me. Uh, and I, I don't go to many dinners with dignitaries, but it, was, it seemed like a very important occasion. And, and it turned out that the, um, the dinner party was about me, but not in the way that I wanted you see, people started to get up and share all these bad things about me, all these things that I'd done in my life. It was quickly turning into a nightmare. And it was, it was not just things that I'd done, but things that I'd thought. They were just like dragging out all my dirty laundry. And this fear like started to well up within me. And I was like, uh-oh, like there's going to be a judgment for this. Like I started to feel a sense of weight and judgment that was going to come upon me. I mean, like this is like publicly being declared everything that I've thought and done in my life. And so this is like the mid-nightmare and then the most unexpected thing happened. I'll kid you not, someone stood up and said, no, no, that was me. Another person stood up and said, that was me. I did all those things. And, and this person was like taken away by some people to like receive their punishment and their judgment. 
And, and I was just shocked. I was like, what? What just happened? Why would someone do that? Then I woke up. And I was like, and, I, and I, I was, it was time to get up. Actually, my alarm went off. So I stumbled out to the kitchen making a coffee. And I was like, that was a weird dream. And I thought, hang on a second. That's what Jesus did for me. He said, I'll take everything that you've done against people, against God. I'll take the full consequence for it. I'll be taken away for those things that you've done. I'll receive judgment for that. You know, I expected in the dream to take the judgment. I literally was like fearful. What would happen to me? And then someone swept in and took it for me. This is why we must be captivated by the crucifixion because that is where Jesus took all the weight, all the judgment. And if, and if you literally had a situation like my dream, you would feel the weight of it. Let me tell you. Mine was a dream and I felt it. Imagine if that was real life and that will happen. There will be a day of judgment for the world. And those who have had someone stand up and say, I will take it. It will be a day of joy. But that is what Paul is talking about in verse 24 of our text. He's reminding them, no, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. As in, the most important thing that's happened to you is that Jesus has died for you. And if that is true, and if you live in light of that, you won't be ruled by your passions and desires. If you believe that, and if trust in Jesus, no, you'll be ruled by the Spirit. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. I mean, many of us know that when we're at our best and we really love someone, you will do anything for that person. And there is nothing more captivating to your heart than knowing what Jesus has done for you. Another example, uh, this is from a, an Indian chief uh, from the 18th century. And he was uh, reporting what had happened. They had all these missionaries um, come to North America from uh, sort of England and, and Europe uh, to try and c- convert the heathen that they used to call non-Christians in those days. And uh, a lot of them went out as, as sort of, there were sort of pioneers and, and, and settlers sort of um, working their way through North America. A lot of people went out to try and convert the Native American Indians. And... Uh, one of the converts was a, a chief, and his name, I guess it was a, a taken name, was Johannes. And this is what he says, talking about his experience of different people coming to convert them. He says, Brethren, and, and excuse the language, it's a, it's a bit um, uh, different uh, from the era. Brethren, I have been a heathen and am now grown old among them. I know, therefore, very well how it is with the heathen. A preacher came once to us, desiring to instruct us, and began by proving to us that there was a God, on which we said to him, Well, and dost thou think that we are ignorant of that? Now go again whence thou camest. So they didn't really, weren't interested. Another preacher came another time, and would instruct us, saying, You must not steal, nor drink too much, nor lie, etc., etc. And we answered him, Fool that thou art, dost thou think that we do not know that? Go and learn it first 
thyself and teach the people thou belongest to not to do these things. Of course, he's saying, well, you know, everyone does this, not just, you know, the heathen, but, you know, the, the religious people in your country are just like we are. And it goes on. For who are greater drunkards or thieves or liars than thine own people? Thus we sent them away also. Sometime after this, Christian Henry Rourke, one of the Moravian brethren, came to me into my hut at, and sat down by me. The contents of his discourse to me were nearly these. I came to thee in the name of the Lord of heaven and earth. He acquaints thee that he would gladly save thee and rescue thee from the miserable state in which thou liest. To this end he became a man, hath given his life for mankind and shed his blood for them, etc. Upon this he lay down upon a board in my hut and fell asleep, being fatigued with his journey. I thought within myself, what manner of man is this? There he lies and sleeps so sweetly. I might kill him and throw him out into the forest and who would care? But he is unconcerned. However, I could not get rid of his words. They continually recurred to me. And though I went to sleep, yet I dreamed of the blood which Christ shed for me. I thought, this is very strange. And went to interpret to the other Indians the words of Christian Henry, thus through... Through the grace of God, the awakening among us took place. I tell you, therefore, brethren, preach to the heathen Christ and his blood and death if you would wish to produce a blessing among them. What does this tell us? This tells us better philosophy will not help you produce fruit. Being told what you shouldn't be doing and what you ought to be doing will not help you produce fruit. Getting to know the God who died and rose again for you will captivate your heart and produce the work of the Spirit in your life. That's the secret of Christianity. It's not about what you can do better. It's about what God has done for you and knowing Him. Those that know Him best are most like Him. And that is how you produce fruit, right? Okay, that's our... Second point, so we've covered, that is, if we want to produce fruit that lasts, we need to position ourselves in the streams of the Spirit. Firstly, secondly, we need to be captivated by Jesus' crucifixion. Third and lastly, we need to receive the ongoing power in the Holy Spirit. Now, when I lived in uh, country Victoria, uh, we used to go through quite a cold winter. It would get well below zero in winter. And we had this odd thing that would happen so two or three times a year. The pipes would freeze with water in them. And so you have to wait until the temperature got up to for the actual water to come out. So I, you know, you get up at cold morning, and you turn on the tap, and nothing would come out because the pipes were frozen. And of course, until the temperature heated up, you would not get any water coming through. And this is just what it's like for us trying to do the things. Or be the person that it describes here, someone who is full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control without the Holy Spirit. You might turn the tap on, but no water's going to come out. If we're still under the rule of the flesh in our lives, we cannot produce God's fruit. We might be able to, you know, produce a counterfeit for a short time, but really inside, it'll be producing pride. You know, you might be a very self-controlled person and be able to get things in order and have a really well-looked-after calendar. 
you know, all the relationships in your life are well looked after, but of course you're probably just trying to control those people, even your children or your parents or your siblings or you know, those that you work with. You, know, you might be someone who has great self-control and everything is in great order in your life, but really you are full of pride. And you look down upon those who are not as self-controlled as you are. And you look down upon those who don't have it together as you do. And so you are even perhaps more sinful than the person who doesn't have the same self-control that you do because you are so full of pride you don't even realize it. You see, the problem is that we can try and counterfeit the fruit of the Spirit, but really another sin pops up in its place. Something else rises up to take its place. And so trying to do this in our own strength without the power of the Holy Spirit is like turning the taps on but no water coming out. There's a clue for us then in order for how we are to receive the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit. And we see this in verse 25. It says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now there's two things going on there. The first is saying that if you're a Christian person, you have received the Holy Spirit the indwelling presence of God. On, upon faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within the Christian person. That's true. But so if this is true, right, the first part, let us also keep in step with us, as in there's something more to be done. There's an ongoing work that needs to happen. You need to keep in step with the Spirit. Or in other parts of the Bible, it's described as being filled with the Spirit. That is... Yes, salvation is one off and done, but the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is not once off and done. We must keep in step. We must keep focused on Him. A good example of this is uh, in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts, it describes the story of the early church. And in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, many of us will be familiar with this, uh, Peter gets out to preach after the Holy Spirit has come upon the disciples. Peter gets up to preach and all these preachers about Jesus, Christ crucified, uh, tells people they need to repent, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit will be theirs as well. The, the people do repent. The thousands of people are converted. They're changed and transformed by faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming to live inside them and to dwell in them. And there's this beautiful community that develops in the early church. But then... You know, as so happens when there's a great work of revival in the church, persecution rises up too and opposition rises up. And so when we get to Acts chapter 4, for the first time, it really seems like the disciples are under threat of their lives. They might be killed. They might certainly be arrested and taken away. I mean, they, they killed Jesus, so it's not a big step to think that they might then kill his followers. And so there's this when you see these people, they've got the Holy Spirit and yet fear seems to come upon them. Fear seems to come upon them. And then this amazing thing happens. The church gets on its knees and it prays. They realize that they need to get into step with the Holy Spirit. And so what do they do? They get down and pray. They seek that the work of Jesus Christ would become real to them afresh as it was when they got converted. It would become afresh as it did that day. It says in the text in Acts chapter 4, it said the church was all filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what happens. 
The result of this, I want to read this out to you, is from Acts 4, verse 32. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, I just want to point out one thing. There's a lot in there. I want to point out one thing from there, and that is the generosity. That was a work of the Spirit. Now, there is something that happens with human nature. right? When we're under pressure... That is, uh, like from persecution, this is for Christians when they're under persecution, or when there's like a, a, a global pandemic, for example, you know, something more in our common era, people tend to cling on to their sources of security, right? People tend to cling on to things that they find security in. And so most people find the security in money, right? The more money in your bank account, the more secure you feel. The more assets you have, the more investments you have, the more secure you feel. And so what you'll find is when there's intense seasons of intense pressure, like a global pandemic, people's giving generously will drop. Their generosity will go down because they're clinging to what makes them feel secure. And that was exactly the threat that was coming upon the church in Acts chapter 4. They could have, you know, gone, oh, no, they're going to, we're quick, they're going to, you know, they're going to kill us. They're going to throw us in prison if we keep preaching. And so they pray for boldness. But there was also another threat, and that was they would stop being generous. They would stop caring for one another. They would stop caring for the poor in their midst. There was no social welfare system in that day from the government. No, it, it came from the family and from the church. And so the great danger then for the church in that day was to hoard their money. And what was the work of the Spirit? It was to produce generosity so that there is this amazing statement in the text. It says that there was not a needy person among them. What a work of the Spirit. This is a great example of what it means not just to be filled not to have the presence of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, it produces generous people. And so a, a quick application for this, I guess, for us today, is what has happened to your generosity in the past two years? Like, what do you do with your money? Are you more generous than what you were two years ago or less? Just have a think. Have a think about, and I'm not just talking about you know, financial giving to church. I'm talking about general generosity. Right? A generous God should produce as a fruit a generous people. What has happened to your generosity in the past two years? Has it gone up or down? Because if it's gone down, it probably says that your faith in the security that you get from money has gone up. You value more being secure through financial means than being a generous person. And so we need the Holy Spirit to change us. We need the Holy Spirit to bring us into step with Him in order to be the people that He has called us to be. And so to have fruit that lasts, we need to have the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit. We unlock 
that power as we realize really that we need it. I mean, this text uh, in Galatians 5 is there to show us if you, if you don't have that fruit and you've got the, you know, uh, the works of the flesh, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to turn to Christ. You can actually come to Him and go, no, I've been living wrongly. I need you. I mean, you see in Acts chapter 4, they access this power through prayer. Through gathering together as God's people in prayer. We've mentioned many ways as well. But I think perhaps more than anything else, you need to be someone who is caught up in the greatest story ever told. You need to be someone who is caught up more by what Jesus has done than anything else. And that will make you into a person who produces this fruit that lasts. And, it, and I want to finish with this example. Uh, so I, I read a lot of, um, sort of science fiction. I like hard science fiction too, which means like it's written so that it seems realistic, like it could be a possible future. Uh, and a lot of fantasy books. And I've noticed a pattern. And, and I've, I've got a few favorite authors, but I've noticed a pattern and it keeps coming up. And it's like, it's probably, I've realized, it's the greatest work of ignorant plagiarism I've ever seen in my life. But it keeps happening and it's fascinating. So in both uh, the, these, these particular authors I'm thinking of, um, in both their series, they actually take apart religion. They take apart religion within their characters because, you know, there's often religion in, in the worlds that they create, in the science fiction world and the fantasy world. There's often religion there and they take it apart. They say, look, you know, things like uh, religion is not that compelling. It, it doesn't give that many you know, benefits to its believers. There's all these rules and yet there's blessings for obedience, but yet no one can keep the rules. And if you're disobedient, you, you get thrown into the utter darkness. And so it's, just, it's not a great compelling story. And so... I assume that the authors themselves are atheist or at least agnostic because they spend much of the book trying to pull apart religion. And yet, the pinnacle of every story and the climax of every story, time and time again, is this saviour figure popping up. Someone who has, is servant-hearted. Someone who is willing to lay their life down for others. And in the final book of the final the final book of a nine-book series, the central character, the hero of all the books, what does he do? He lays down his life to save the universe. I mean, where did they get that one from? Right? And, and, in the, and so that's the science fiction one. In, in the fantasy book, it's the same thing. You know, the, like the, the, the saviour figures, they die to save everyone else. And I'm like, oh, like, like you, you say that religion is, isn't compelling. Well, hey, I agree with you. And yet the most compelling story is a saviour who would lay down his life and die for his people. Yes, that's Jesus. Yes, that is the most compelling story. Yes, that is the climax of the best story ever told. And if you look throughout our best fiction, our best stories, the climax, the crescendo, the best moment is when someone lays down their life for everyone and everyone is gripped by that. And if it's true in the secular world, God has written it in because it is all the more true in the spiritual world. And so if you're gripped by this, if you're gripped by what Christ has done, you will be a person who produces fruit that lasts. Let me pray.
Lord God, we want to thank you uh, so much that you have done an amazing work through Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray that this truth would come to bear on our lives, that we would stop trying to uh, do stuff in our own strength as if we can produce fruit by ourselves. But Lord Jesus, we want to draw near to you, the greatest, uh, the central figure of the greatest story ever told. And so change us, work in us, we pray, so that we so love you because you first loved us, that we are fruitful people, that we bring you honour and glory. And Lord, change us from thinking this doesn't apply to us, from thinking we don't need this today. And Lord, I also pray for those that are struggling with this, Lord, that you would make your presence real and known to them. Lord, I pray for those who don't yet know you, that you reveal your goodness and all that you've done, Lord Jesus, for them today. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name.